Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. This morning it's a standalone, and I may, I may even mention it tonight, or who knows, uh, as I've been preparing for this probably for weeks now, but intensely for a week. Uh, I've, uh, and as I prepare, as always happens, I could probably be in this for weeks. Now, um, the, the scripture, the main scripture that I'm going to speak about, I'm not going to totally exegete that scripture, but I just want to share a few things, what I, I feel that the Spirit of the Lord has been speaking to predominantly me about in the last few weeks, uh, really. Uh, and then in turn, I believe, our congregation. But I believe then the bigger picture and the wider church. Uh, and there's much to learn here. Uh, and I just feel that it's, this is a good time before we get into John 18, which, you know, when we get into John 18 for a week or two, you'll wish you were back in 17. Because what Christ goes through as he reaches the garden is um, horrendous. I was talking to one of my brothers in Christ yesterday and we were talking about as Christ um, and his passion week as he then comes into the garden with then 11 disciples and, and where he stands. And I remember studying this a few years ago and I had a few questions and I, I remember hijacking Sinclair Ferguson at a conference and because uh, I, 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 wanted, I wanted answers to a part of Christ's in that prayer. And I remember he led me a, a reading and studying the harmony of the Gospels with John Calvin, which is phenomenal. Um, but anyway, I remember, I, remember, I remember Sinclair saying something like this. Um, and John, you know, as we talk about John 18 and moving on to the cross, that at the moments Jesus could not touch divinity. And it kind of blew my mind. Although he was divine, he was fully God and fully man. But when he reached those moments in the garden, when the sweats of blood was, as it were, through pain and despair and agony, as he agonised over um, what was coming, uh, he could not be comforted by divinity. Even though he was divine, even though he was fully God and fully man, but he couldn't have, as it were, an unfair advantage because he had to experience all that man experienced. So as Jesus weeps and cries in those fateful hours before his arrest, uh, and we understand now, and we'll get into this over the next weeks and months, we understand that that weeping, that pain, that despair, that pouring his heart out, that battle for acceptance was... Um, was not down to him not wanting the cross or I'm frightened of the cross or the pain that would come, but of the agony of the separation from the Father. Because that was the total agony. And as we pray, as he prayed in John 17, he and the Father are one. And I pray that you would be one as me and the Father are indeed one. Uh, but Jesus knew in those moments that the separation, the agony to be separated from the Father, that total agony, that total despair and loss and hopelessness was, uh, was almost unbearable. And he couldn't touch divinity, as it were, because therefore he could not then be fully man who had to face and carry the sins of man. So when we start getting into that, you'll be like, you know what, can we stay in John 17 for another bit? Because it's... It's truly astounding. But this morning what I want to do is, is uh, we are going to step aside from John's gospel, but not completely from John. And let me just share this. And, and many of you who are part of this church or have been for a while uh, would know that we normally don't kind of uh, step aside too much. I, I never think it's wrong. I, I think the thing is you don't want to be so dogmatic uh, and so... Orthodox that we can't allow the Spirit of God to speak to us and, and be guided by us. And uh, we have to allow that and uh, be willing to be open uh, as and when we see uh, fit for that. But over maybe the last month or so, but uh, 
for sure intensely in the last few weeks. I've felt particularly challenged first personally, and then I know the elders and the leaders have. Uh, or the words really challenged me through um, John 17 about may you be one as we are one and, and unity and all the stuff that goes with that and being sanctified by the word. And I feel as if the Holy Spirit through the word has really challenged us. And, and these things I think that I've had to wrestle with over the past few weeks, sometimes I think we share things too early. Uh, I think as we're younger in our faith, I think we share things too early. If you think, think Joseph. <laughs> think Joseph, just maybe want to keep a hold of that dream a wee bit to yourself a wee bit longer. You know, but all things are working together for the good, eh? For the saving of many souls. But I think having to ponder that, and, I, and, and you'll, there's been stuff I've permeated in that I've felt convicted about as we've been preaching. Um, certainly the latter half of John 17 in Christ's prayer. And I believe now that, you no, know, maybe finding language for that, seeking God's word, uh, meditating in God's word, and really studying these scriptures, which I've been kind of mentioning off and on quite a lot in the last few weeks. Um, so things that I believe I can now share there, not only what I believe that the word is speaking to us about, but I believe what the word will speak to us as a congregation. And then, as I said at the beginning, I actually believe what God's speaking to the, the wider body of the church. And I never say that. You would know that. I would never be as arrogant to think that. But, but I do believe that at times that God will put stuff in men of God's heart to speak to, not just their, their personal life. It starts with us first, looking in the mirror intently. Um, you know, in, in, in the past, in my life, and in, in party church, I've, I've, I've heard loads of speakers uh, telling telling the world and want to tell the congregation what God's telling them and they've not even allowed it to permeate in their own heart first. They've not even allowed it to develop in their own heart. And especially uh, for me being part of, you know, very much in the charismatic church, what I was part of, uh, that often, you know, and I, I'm not saying everybody was taught that, but we were very much taught that, uh, that, you know, that we should share that stuff and get out of our heart and but long before we were ever instructed or equipped to really process it in our own spirit first and test it against the word before we ever done that and it can end up chaos with that stuff. But I believe what, what, what I've been thinking about, what I've been saying and what I've been praying about and studying is, is very much um, important for us at this time. Uh, Andrew Beatty, one of the young elders, uh, wrote a wonderful post yesterday called Sola Scriptura. Uh, Sola Scriptura, the five solas. The, 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 these are the, the solas that... The, Martin Luther stood on during the Reformation in 1517, no, uh, by grace alone and faith alone, no, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through scripture alone, uh, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's what he stood on because we know at the time the church, at the time during, before the Reformation, it was waning away from the word, especially because it was steeped in Roman Catholicism. Uh, so what was happening there was is that there was, there was the word plus traditions, plus uh, indulgences, plus all sorts of stuff, and there were loads of stuff going on then. And as we know, Luther went to, uh, he went to the Vatican and he seen what was going on and he was shocked and... He had no intentions of starting a reformation, but just writing a piece of work for basically his local church. But then we know the press print, the printing press was just developed. You know, it's not as if God didn't, you know, uh, he's orchestrating everything behind the scene. And he nailed the 95 Thesis to the door. Um, I, I was there a few years ago, staying right. The, the, the room that I stayed in was literally from here to Audrey away for the, 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 the thesis door. And there were a scaffold up in front of you that weekend. You ever do that? You go away somewhere. And you're just like, no, I'm going sightseeing. You know, I'm going to go and see Big Ben and you go. It's like a building site. Everywhere I go, it seems to be like that. And I'd planned this trip for like a year and a half and we arrive and it's got... Anyway, we know the story of the Reformation. And, and then what happened in our churches is you know that uh, almost four years ago in Andrew's post that I'm talking about, is talking about this. Um, almost four years ago, we had a reformation in our church. Uh, like a mini-reformation. It's the only way to describe it. And 
We weren't looking for it. I don't believe we were looking for it. It just happened, and we were very much a modern... I studied psychology, many of you know that. I'm not against it either, uh, but we're very much a, a very pragmatic church. And, and, and the problem is with that is we didn't have a great deal of balance, uh, but we, we loved the truth still. We did love the truth. And we fought for truth, and we stood in truth, and we argued about truth, and we fought over truth, and I've got scars over truth, and I've got enemies over truth, and I've got more enemies over truth. And we, we had that. But the word was hidden. And as we know, I was studying, I'm not wanting to get into this, I was studying a scripture, I just was led to study a scripture for a vision offering that we were taking. Uh, and that in itself seems obscure now. And I started reading 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, where it's paralleled about Josiah's uh, time. And what happened is in that time, there was a woman called Alathiah. Alathiah was the daughter of Jezebel. Okay, and she was a psychopath. Uh, she was a total psychopath. And she ran riot in the church to the point of view that the, the church became so frightened of what she could do. No, they had to hide her grandson because she would have killed him because he was destined for the throne. So they had him and then brought him out, if you remember, and he became the king. And when he became the king as a young king, they decided that they would... You know, and this happens, you see it throughout the Old Testament. You know, there's always a great comfort, I think, when you study the Old Testament. You know, see, parenting's hard, doesn't it? So you've got that, they've turned out all right. No, sure. <laughs> They're bang on. Off the wall, okay? <laughs> and if that happened in the Old Testament with these great men of God, you know, we are still a bit of peace. Thank goodness for election, that's what I say. You know, for me. Uh, anyway, as the word became, Josiah says, you know what, we're going to restore the walls. We're going to bring the church back. And what happened is he sent the people in a look for, uh, to start restoring the building. So I thought great scripture, a great scripture when you want to expand the church or grow or renovate the church. You know, I'll, I'll share this. And as I start looking at the scripture, as you remember, there's a part in it where Shaphan uh, and the other guy that's Shaphan's pal, uh, <laughs> he says, uh, so they go to the high priest and they say, well, we were looking through the rubble. We found the book of the law hidden in the rubble. And they were devastated, the high priest um, they were devastated because what they'd realized is, is that the word of God was hidden in the very place that it should be on a lampstand, which is in the church. And as I read this, it was almost like a, the Holy Spirit just, you know, that conviction, you're just like, <clears throat> and obviously there would have been stuff going on in the background. You know yourself as you've been led into transition in your life or something. There's always stuff going on in your life before it. You can't understand it at the time. And it's only in retrospect you look back that you see the guiding hand and God's amazing, wonderful rhythm of grace guiding in your life. But you don't see it at the time. And, and, and that was the change for us as we started studying God's word and we started to connect and find an infinity, especially first way and predominantly with Dr. MacArthur. Now, I'd read John MacArthur's stuff. I didn't like John MacArthur. I never really studied John MacArthur, but I can tell you I didn't like him. That's a bit like a lot, and I, I, I read a lot about... I, I remember watching a programme with him years ago, and he was like standing in Jerusalem. I remember telling the elders about this. And I remember watching it and agreeing with everything, but because it didn't sit with my... my, my my confirmation bias leanings. I just kept on trying to pick wee bits that I didn't like about it. Which people do. Uh, but I couldn't get away from it. And that kind of, it started to make sense. We started to read and listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, I listened to us, so C.K. Chesterton. I remember listening to him. Uh, loads of people. I, people I'd never heard of. And uh, it, it, it took a while for, for it to permeate my mind. Um, it took a while predominantly because I was so part of a feelings-based movement that it took so long. It, uh, 
Because I was looking for emotion. You know, I, I'm sure I heard Paul Washer saying recently that, or something, I'll paraphrase it, that the, the, the pulpits became a wash, <laughs> if it were, for people who are guided to the, 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 are guided to the altar of emotion. And it's everything's emotional and everything's about how you feel. And I was, I was, I lived, my, my whole training was in that mindset. Now, when you're in that, you don't see it as something that's anesthetizing the word in any way whatsoever. You just see it as, that's all part of it. And I'm not saying it's all bad, we're emotional people. Yeah. You know, and when we went, because when we even started this, we would go to some really Puritan events and I'd be like, I mean, I would, have, I, would have, I would have just loved a pulse. Never mind anything else, because it was like... Pfft. So we had to kind of manage that and, and start to learn the word, which we did over the next... Um, and that weekend, incidentally, where I studied that word and brung that message, was I did not know this. No, well, no, you put dates to it, because it makes it more spiritual, doesn't it? But it doesn't matter. It is what it is. It was the 31st of October, four years ago. 31st of October was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I didn't know that. So come on the 31st of October, it's the 504th anniversary of the Reformation and we'll be four years exactly to the week where the word was found in this church. And in that journey, it started to shape and guide this church completely for almost four years. It's been extraordinary. Some things have happened so fast. Few people, some people have left, as we know. You know, at one point in the early stage of your church, this is true. Uh, we were probably one of the fastest growing churches in Scotland. Uh, uh, we had a kids ministry, hundreds of kids. Uh, it was a zoo, but that's what we had. And uh, all sorts of stuff, and that went on. And as I look back, and you're like, do you regret it? Well, I regret the word not being front and centre, but. Listen, all things are working together for the good for those who love God and are called according to their purpose. So how can you know? How can you know, celebrate it and be okay with it? Um, but in those four years almost, it's been extraordinary. And, uh, and we've brought many with us. And that's probably some of the astounding things is I've met many reformed guys or different guys. And well, what, how's the journey been about bringing people with you? Which is coming from where we are to where we're at the day. Um, and, and document that. Many people say you need to write that and write it in a book and talk about how that. And if any of you have ever started writing a book, you know the discipline that's needed, which I need a bit more. Um, but but that's been a journey. And I think what's brought us together is is that uh, my sheep hear my voice and they will listen to no other. That's it. There's a lot of wise people came because my sheep hear my, my voice and will listen to no other. And it was believers that, that loved the word. And when the word became alive, then it just stirred the soul. And then obviously being transparent through that journey. Uh, and not just embracing things because they were protect, just because they were biblical without any understanding. Because that becomes just orthodoxy as well. Because you start embracing things, but you don't have any understanding of why you're doing it. So we had to do things at our pace and some things we never introduced right away because we wanted to understand it biblically before we could present it. Uh, so basically I was a week ahead of you. Really? And many things. And for some he's a week behind. Just, you get what I'm saying? But in these four years the word has shaped all we do. It's shaped all we preach. What we believe. How we steward. How we equip. How we fellowship, that word was kind of boycotted because it wasn't trendy enough. Uh, how we see ministry. How we view worship, which has been a massive challenge to us because of the emotion. And I would say that's one of the biggest challenges that we had. Um, and still haven't we managed that. Uh, in the last 20 months, we spent 32 weeks in 2 Timothy. 32 weeks in 2 Timothy, or 32 sermons in 2 Timothy, uh, before we went back into John, where Paul wrote, as we know, to young Timothy, who was pastoring in Ephesus. Uh, some 30 years on, Paul writes his prison epistle um, uh, from jail to his beloved son, Timothy's spiritual son, as it were. Uh, and he had pastored there himself. Paul, as we know, for three years, uh, Ephesus churches 
without doubt uh, get the most astounding alumni you could ever think of. <laughs> You've got Paul, Timothy, Apollos, who would say that he's the greatest of all. And then John spent many years in Ephesus amongst others. But uh, we also went through Ephesians in 21. And I, I, I preached on it every day, didn't I? Every day for 15 minutes, every day. Every day for four days a week for 15 minutes. Uh, 70 for 70, 70 days. It was like in a whistle stop of the book of Ephesians. The church in Ephesus in the writing has been there for a huge part of your church in the last 20 months and probably the last four years because of the doctrinal truths that, that lie within for a young church who are embracing change and uh, trying to live by the word front and centre. So it's been a huge part, especially in the last 20 months. 2 Timothy 2, 3, 16, 17, you remember it says, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Theononostes, the God-breathed word. There, another thing I learned. started learning Greek. <coughs> you believe that? started learning Greek, studied Greek, still do. Uh, Theononostes, the God-breathed word. When you start to understand the word in Greek, it just, pff, it's a game changer. And then it says, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for the instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And yes, we're still being continually sanctified. Another word that we would use, you know. When we first started going, oh, I don't need to write that word. I don't even know what that word means. And we're being continually sanctified by the word in order to be what? To be thoroughly equipped. Exertiso, exertiso, to be fully accomplished. And complete come the end of our days. But we know we'll not be fully complete until we're with the Lord and his glory. But to be thoroughly equipped, Paul writes, exertizo to fully accomplish your days, as he writes to Timothy. Paul then goes on in 2 Timothy and charges, as it were, challenges Timothy. Not even from the word, as we know, Timothy was a young man. And, and, and Timothy was didn't... By his own very nature, he was timorous. He, 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 he did not enjoy confrontation. He was young in his faith. He, he, he was, he, if he could have avoided confrontation, he probably would have. Yeah. And Paul's then encouraging Timothy, and he would mention it as you read the book of Acts, I'm sending Timothy to you. And I think Timothy must have been like, oh, no, don't. But Paul just kept encouraging him and, and it says in 2 Timothy 4, 25, as he goes through this letter, this heartfelt letter as he writes to his spiritual son, he says to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead that is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering. And teaching all long-suffering is a point there. Uh, which will come to fruition in a bit. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will keep up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. And Paul's writing here, this is prophetic, because Paul's writing here about in a time to come. But as we're going to move on here, you're going to know that time has came and long gone. At this time, it's, it's no fully... Fully harmed. And before it, when Paul writes in Acts 20, it's not even started. But they'll turn away from truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful on all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And this is Paul's parting words really to Timothy because he, he does say, you know what, I long to see you. We don't ever know that you even got there. And as Paul comes to the end of his life, and he's coming near the end of his life, he's here again, enduring, but plus encouraging Timothy by reflecting in his own journey. And then he encourages Timothy, you're not alone. You may feel alone, but you're not standing alone in this. And I don't know about you, but I find it such encouragement to see them that have went before us truly sharing their faith and endurance. I think it's always encouraging. 
Paul goes on and writes in 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 8, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid upon me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day, and not to me only, but all who have loved his appearing. And again, you could look at that and you could go, I could find John 17 in that. When it says I have fought the good fight, the, the, the Greek word is agonizomai. Agonizomai. It's, it's not hard to figure out. Even if you don't know Greek, you know where that comes in. It comes from the word agonizes. In a sense, it, uh, another word would be he's been intense. He's been intense. I think even before the word was found in this church, we would say we were intense. Well, it doesn't mean to say that you're not without humour at times and no... But we're intense. We're serious. And then when Paul's saying he's been intense about this, he's been, he's agonizomai. What Paul's saying is, is that he's had, to, he's had to be determined. It says, I've determined to know nothing when I'm amongst you except Christ and him crucified. The word determines crano. He's had to determine in his mind not to be distracted with everything else. Hello? Does that happen? So yeah, if you don't agonise over the word and agonise over, over God's word and God's ways, if we don't agonise over that, it's going to be so easy to be distracted. This is what Jesus said, didn't he, in his prayer, in his high priestly prayer. I don't pray that you take us out of the world, but what that we're protected from, the evil one. And sometimes we think intense is weakness. There's nothing weak about intense. Intense is okay. Paul was intense. When I preach, I'm intense. I'm better alive than I'm ever listening to because I always sound raging. <laughs> and I have to get better at that, but when the, when the passion flows, poo. But the key is that we must... Make sure we are going about what? Our father's business. Kingdom. Business. Kingdom things. Throughout Paul's writings he's saying I'm keeping my kingdom things. Because he's resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Paul could have talked about a million things. And he did at times. But it was always pertaining to godliness. And I think we all can get a good glimpse of where our faith is at and where we are placing too much value in by what we get distracted by. And what we keep on getting distracted by becomes a false God, as it were. But here's Paul, never ran out of steam. Never lost heart. Never stopped. Never allowed his purpose to be distracted. No matter the battle or the attack. Or what he was facing. You look at his life from the book of Acts. It's like, preached the word, got attacked, went to the next city, done the same. Got attacked. Let, you know, you, you read the book of Acts and you get through it and it's almost, it's, it's hard going. You're like, don't go. And the first place he always go, he would leave. He would go to Antioch. He would leave there. He would go to bring you like straight to the synagogue. You had to go. And he goes straight to the synagogue. And you like trouble. And wherever he get attacked, he went to the next place. But this is what he never done. He never allowed the attack to get on him and start to change his purpose. And the problem is in our life, and listen, no, even if you're not even looking at this, just personally, how different attacks, different troubles, different problems, good, bad, and different, they start to shape importance. You think it's the most important. But Paul's pleading with Timothy, there's nothing more important. Paul gets shipwrecked in Malta, preached the word. He never sidetracked, he never swayed. 
to talk a different message ever. And this was probably the most educated, maybe with Apollos, probably the most educated man in the Holy New Testament. He sat under the greatest teachers, Gamaliel, who was the greatest Jewish scholar of his time. So it's not as if he didn't have stuff that he could have talked about. And I think we need at times to agonise over the word and agonise in preaching it and evangelising in season and out. And that agonising forces us away from distraction from either making us compromise or causing us to lose focus. And all these things, and why am I saying these things? Because these are the things I've been agonising over the last three weeks. We even spoke about the Ephesians church in the last two weeks while we were still in Christ's high priestly prayer. We spoke about being united in the word and being sanctified by it. Acts 20, 20, 70, 32. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourself, to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, after my departure, so at the time it's okay, after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourself, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember, but for three years, I did not cease to warn you every day and night with tears. So he would pray, he would be agonising over that for his congregation. That they would not get distracted with false teaching. They would not get distracted with worldly things. They would not get distracted by the world. Or another fight. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which you are able to build you up and give you an inheritance. That's what builds us up and gives us an inheritance. The word. No wonder it's under such attack morning, noon and night. Which brings me to another part of the teaching of Ephesus. I says at the beginning, we're not totally getting off, John. Which has really been in my heart for weeks. Turn with me to Revelations 2, please. Revelations chapter 2. As I say, I'm not going to exegete the holy, this part of Revelations. Let me just tell you the background briefly. This is, Paul was, Apostle John was instructed, or he was chosen by the Holy Spirit to pen Revelations. He was in the island of Patmos when he was instructed to do this. And as we get to Revelations 2 quite early on, knowing there are loads of stuff happens in Revelations, but just in this section, the Holy Spirit comes to Paul and we could talk about, we're not going to get into this too much about the stars and the lamps and that. We're not going to get into that because it's for the time being, for the time of God, it's, uh, I want to concentrate on something else. But the Holy Spirit comes, Christ comes to Paul, uh, John, and Basically what Christ wants to do is he wants to survey the churches in Asia Minor. He wants to go on a survey mission to the church. And he goes to seven churches. Okay? And he comes to the angel. The angel is the pastor or the minister of that church. That's what it means. Strange word, the angel, but that's what it is. The pastor or the minister of that church and the elders. To the, when he says to the angel of the Lord, we're talking about the pastor. So Jesus is literally, through the Spirit, is coming to the pastor and, and surveying the church and John's going to document what he says. It's not what John says, it's what Christ says. So they come to the seven churches and they come to the first church, which is the church in Ephesus, uh, which is astounding. Let me just read these verses. Revelations 2, 27. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, I write these things. Says he holds the seven stars in his right hand. I, and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. We're, we're talking about the perfect Holy Spirit here. But as I say, we're not going to get into that much. I know your works, your labour, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not false teachers. And have found them as liars. 
and you have persevered and have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have that, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Hear his ears. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him who overcomes, I give him eat the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Praise the Lord. And Paul goes through, uh, sorry, John, or Christ goes through these seven churches. And John pens them. Now, these seven churches, it's not an individual letter to the seven churches. Um, every, every, every church, although it's a letter to the individual churches, these seven letters, these seven churches that get surveyed, the letters would have passed through them all. Everybody would have seen every letter. Uh, and here John has been selected by the Holy Spirit and he's instructed to go as it were and survey this. And they all come back with different reports. Christ comes back with different reports, different problems, different situations, different battles. All in the kind of same area, this whole area, big massive area. And I suppose that Ephesus was first, we can only presume that, because it was the most prominent church in the world at that point. Uh, without doubt. Uh, there was no more prominent church in the world. And there were no other place in the world at that point where there was such a need for the word to remain the word because of where it was geographically, because of the challenges, because of what went on in that place in the holy Ephesus. It was very hedonistic. The, the goddess Diana was there, worship Artemis, uh, where it was all about uh, flesh and sin and pleasure and all sorts of stuff was going on there and it was a massive port there so this place maybe a couple of million people there and this is where Paul built his church and this church exploded uh, but due to that location and the prominence in the church Christ goes there first to survey it through the spirit and no other church at that time they all did. But there was no other church at that time who needed to solidly stand in the word more than them. And the reason they had to be so strong, Paul warned them for how long? Non-stop for three years. Non-stop he warned Timothy. False teachers. Itching ears. People are going to get into your church. And he warned them constantly, stand in the word, stand in the word, stand in the word, stand in the word. No other church did Paul say that in such tenacity about. Because that church was constantly being attacked by lies. False converts, lies, abuse. And the Ephesus, as we know, had that goddess and they were so caught on this. I heard Michael Whitlock uh, uh, and his commentary saying that John's heart must have been racing as he himself was part of that church for years, end quote. You think, oh no, here you're here and I was, oh, what are you going to see here? And here Christ with John visits these churches and the first being Ephesus, as it says. And the beginning of the report in Ephesus is good. Jesus first commends the church for not firstly tolerating sin, and what that's saying in that part, because there are two parts here about the wouldn't he tolerate. You, you were not going to be part of that church. So the first part is not about outside the church. The first part's about the congregation. When they say you're not tolerate sin, he's talking about in the congregation. And what happened in that church and where they stood very strongly was, see if you weren't living right, you weren't getting away with it. Okay, that's the first bit. See, if you were not living right, you were getting that, you were having a meeting. You were having a word. You, you were not going to come here. It was, no going, it was not an easy come, easy go, seeker friendly, shallow church. Okay? In that sense. Meaning you could come and go as you please, and as long as you turned up and clocked your card, it didn't matter. The elders and the leaders of that church and because it stood so, so strong on the warnings they were very adamant in calling things out. 
Now that's, all, that's not always a popular church, is it? So, they were, so Christ first commends them. You're not letting people away with sin. You're not letting them do this. You're not letting them do that. Now you, you, the the ultra-modern church is like, oh, it's all about the Where's the love? You know, we get that. They're right here, but we'll move on in a minute. If you ever read G.C. Ryle, he talks much about that stuff. I'll know, say exactly what he says. I'll paraphrase and It's a church that's all love and no truth. It's all inclusion and no correction. Well, the brilliant thing is, is the church in Ephesus wasn't like that. And they'd been warned about it and warned about it and warned about it. And this is something that was a stalwart in their life. It became, and this is where it becomes negative in a minute, but, but it stood so strong in that. Also, standing firm against people who were struggling with sin. They just, they just didn't accept it. People who were stealing, robbing. They just called it out. They would not accept it. Problem is in Scotland, just on a wee side note, as in it, everyone's hate speech now, isn't it? Church is almost not allowed to say anything. It's hate speech. I've seen somebody posting some yesterday, and I really wanted to say something. And I thought, no, I'm just going to leave it today. Uh, and they were talking about it was about uh, conversion therapy. Oh. And little did the person know that what they were writing about and calling out the church for so-called conversion therapy and through their ignorance, they weren't knowing that that's what, the, that's, what the, that's what the government's using to silence the church. It's not today with conversion therapy. We talked about that last week. It's just another excuse to allow their means to get in so you can't say anything. It's just another attack in the word. Well, the church in Ephesus wasn't having any of that. They were not a church that ignored that. Also, they were near a church that never stopped warning the congregation about false teachers. Okay, they never stopped warning them. They constantly warned them about false teachers and wolves and sheep's clothing. They would warn them day and night. They would be ready for it. They would be scoping them out. They would be watching them coming. And they were rife in Ephesus. And the reason they were so rife in that city was because when Paul started the church in Ephesus, a lot of people went out of business. Because when you would go to visit Ephesus and it would be like a pilgrimage to hedonism, there would be people selling all sorts of stuff. One of the things they used to sell is wee dolls and wee, wee, wee shrinkets, you know. Like, no one like holy water for lords, okay? Right, selling that nonsense, okay? Somehow that's going to heal you, standing outside places and selling stuff. Or you could even say worse, some of the, some of the ultra-modern church that's selling T-shirts for an astronomical amount of money with a statement on it. As if it's some, no, some sort of merchandise place. Disgusting. Overpriced T-shirts. And all the stuff. And what happened was, because the word was spoke in this church, and Paul came and brung the gospel. I mean, Paul himself. Paul. Paul becomes the pastor of the church. Yeah. Amazing. Look where I've been with him all the time. I mean, this is, this is the kind of people you're getting in this church. Yeah. There's no committee meeting here to see who they like and who they don't like. Let's select a leader who will help us and lead us back into captivity. Some weak limb guy. We're not getting that. Some career Christian. This is Apostle Paul. So the church starts exploding. So instead of people going to the indulgence place, right, to go and get their, their joy, that's shutting. People are not making any money. Ideal. Sounds a bit like the Vatican during the Reformation, isn't it? We are not making any money here. We can't finish our gold leaf ceiling here. Let's get rid of him. Luther I'm talking about. So what happened was, is that as that started happening, false teachers then have to start thinking, how can we get in? How can we get in? How can we get in? So they, they were able to do it in other churches. But because of the church in Ephesus was so strong and bold and Jesus has commended them, they're like, ah, you are patient, you do not miss a beat. And it's wonderful. Because of these teachers were rife. Because they worshipped false gods and they wanted in. And they wanted to steal hearts and the devil's using them. 
So the church was a huge threat. All our churches, as we won't get into, like the church in Pergamos was, they really compromised. They were a compromised church. Uh, they started to compromise. So what they were doing is, see the kind of people that the Ephesians church was spotting, calling out, or them in the congregation, they were asking them to repent and face their sin. The compromised church started to tolerate it. Okay? The church in Thyatira was worse. They didn't just tolerate it. They allowed them in leadership. If you like. You're getting Jezebel's. It tells you. The church in Sardis has dead. Has got nothing. Has like the church of Scotland in the 24th century. Has no even alive at all. And these churches never challenged anything. They submitted to everything. The church in Lydia, see, it was totally apathetic. It was neither hot nor cold. I know a picture of the church, much of the church today. It's neither hot nor cold. Come see, come see, it's okay. We'll just be silent. Plebs. And accept everything that's happening in the world. The church in Smyrna. In Philadelphia stood in the full counsel of God. Polycarp was the first pastor of the church. You ever read about Polycarp? That's nice, easy reading. He died a horrendous death, but he stood in the word and he stood in truth. And grace. Never shifted. They just, they just fully preached the full counsel of God, which Paul instructed, and others. But here in Ephesus, they had that half right. And that's the way I can see it. And I feel as if that's what I feel the Spirit's been speaking to me about personally. And then the church as a whole. And I think some of the, the other churches. And I believe we're seeing this today. In the last 20 months has been horrendous attacking in, in the church of Jesus Christ. By tyrannical government. Call it what you want. That's what it is. That'll pass. The compromised church says, ah, it's only a season. The lukewarm church, ah, I can't go. The church in Thyatira that's about the day is gone, let's just embrace it. Let's just embrace it, it's all right, the government's no evil. Really? That's what the predominantly the church is like. The church in Laodicea. Just embrace it. Just love your neighbour. That's what it's doing. Some have not even got any emotion at all. Sometimes say for what do you think about that? Well, silence. Total, total silence. As false teachers and formats and telling you when you can do and what the church can do and what you can and according to government guidelines. Imagine getting into the church in Smyrna and Polycarp standing on the platform and it says up, the up above the cross, according to government guidelines. What do you think? What do you think the Spirit of the Lord would say when he goes and visits that? Others are like the church in Thyatira. This is worse. They've actually became the mouthpiece because they've allowed the Jezebel in to have a voice. They've actually gave the government party the platform to speak to the congregation about what they need. My son needs away. <laughs> There's something else more painful. They're tolerating anything. Questioning nothing. Standing nothing. Jesus goes and visits these churches as well. What would you have done? Very few have been like Smyrna. Very, very few. I would say a bit more have been like the Ephesian church. And most still have been a mix of all the rest, apart from Philadelphia, who was faithful as well. And here in Ephesus, they're standing bold and strong and being commended. Not just in this season, but, but in truth, period. 
Paul says in all seasons. However, Ephesus was constantly under attack and duty, constantly fighting something. Constantly fighting. Some started to happen in the spirit of the people in the church. Okay. Because they were constantly fighting, some started to happen to the people in the church without noticing. They didn't notice because they were so dogmatic and orthodox in standing in truth that they'd convinced themselves that they were maintaining their Christ-likeness while they were doing it. And I'm going to say this, there's a great danger happening now in the church. There's the silence that's, that's killing the church and the, all these other churches. But let me just say this, the devil... You know what I've done last week? I'm just going to say this. You know what I've done last week? Just trying to try it. I deleted every doctor, every virologist, and all other people who are no Christians for my timeline. And the reason I've done it, not because they don't tell the truth, because they're no Christians. And this is what I realised. See, just because you're in agreement with something that's true, and you're hearing it for the world, what makes you think that person that's saying it cares more about your relationship with Christ than the MD at Disney believe it? They're not on the same plight as us. They don't care. They don't care whether Jesus is on the throne or not. I love that they don't want little Nicky on the throne either. Don't get me wrong. I love that they don't want her on the throne. I'm in agreement with that. But what was happening in the church in Ephesus is about what I see happening with the churches that we very much align ourselves with. And we need to sell a moment and step back and we need the lamp to stand on us and go, well, we are fighting this stuff which we should. Now, what we don't want to do is there'll be people that don't fight it. So you've got the passive going, yeah, I know, I've been saying that for ages. You know, so you've got the church in, you've got the church in Thyatira, you've got the church in Pergamos. That's what I've been saying. You're talking too much about the vaccine. You're talking too, I've been saying that for ages. Well, Jesus has got plenty to say about your silence as well. It's both. And one of the reasons that we can become so dogmatic and so passionate about this is because of the silence forces us to shout louder. But the problem is, is the devil's in that as well, people. And what I've seen in the churches is this is the problem. As well, we're fighting this. There's something that's missed in the letters. And this is what's missed in the letters when Jesus preaches. See when he was preaching to the lukewarm church, do you know what he was looking for? A congregation member who needed, loved and helped. And one of the problems that started to happen, we need to be careful of this. And thank God for the word of God sanctifying this church. And I'll cheerlead this now, that's it, I'm, I'm on it, I'll cheerlead this. I'll happily, I'll happily, see the churches that I stand with, we might not agree doctrinally. I love these guys who are calling this stuff out. I've got a real infinity with them, I love their spirit and I love their heart. Um, maybe they know about the danger that they're falling into, but maybe they don't. But the danger they're falling into is they're losing their first love. And see when it says losing your first love, it's not that you're losing who Jesus is. It's that you're not loving people the way Jesus loved people. Well, you're calling stuff out and that stuff gets into your spirit. And before you know it, you look through your porch, you're like, I'm mentioning nothing about Jesus and everything about that. But what Jesus done when he surveyed the church is that if there were one person in the congregation who needed the word of God to be saved, he spared that church. And what's happened in our sense in the church who are fighting, which I love, they're spirity fighting. But many of them are getting the spirit of this, the Ephesians church a bit like us. And the problem is, we're missing the congregation who need still pastored and led with problems of getting nothing to do with that. Because they're getting caught up in sin and there are other problems and other battles and other temptations and other issues. Well, we want everybody to be on the same bandwagon. What about them that's at home with the supplies? Well, we're taking the crown as a glag. And we need both. And as I've been studying the word and through the gospel of John in 17, and I've been saying to the guys, guys, I, I just I'm in my spirit here and I'm, I keep on getting drawn into this battle and I, it's good that we're battling it. 
But no, if we lose love, no, if we forget, why are we fighting it? What, for the freedom of the world? No. As much as that's commendable in many areas. We stand against it because we're standing against them attacking God, his word and his house, period. You've got other churches that I get there saying, oh, well, it's not really affecting the church, you know, we're not saying anything. Yeah, but you've got to call it, you've, you're here to help the broken, aren't you? We're here to preach the gospel and the good news everywhere. We're here to stand in truth. But for weeks I've been thinking about this and it's just been troubling me. And here's the thing. Them out of years let them hear it. I could ignore it. I could ignore it. I could ignore it because it's a great big fight. And if there ever anybody wants to be in a great big fight, I want to be in the front line every single time and twice on a Sunday. I'm your man. But that's not the complete word of God. And when I look at these apostles and I look at that, it's not that they didn't stand in truth. Peter and John says, you tell me who are renders, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God. And it was when it was came in, it starts to challenge the church and affect the church. And of course we can have a voice in the bigger picture. But one of the things that's happened is, and I've seen it with people, and I spoke to somebody last week, and I challenged them on it. They didn't like it, I know that. And they're becoming a freedom fighter. Listen, an individual can go into social justice march. I don't believe in social justice marching. I don't think we're called to social justice march, personally. I stand very much with John MacArthur now. I don't believe we're social justice marching. Yeah, we have to stick up for people and we have to protect people, but that's not our plight. Your plight is to stand in the word and call it evil when it's evil, yes. But no lose a first love when we're doing it. And it's almost there's a correlation that you cannot get away from. I don't care who you are. I don't care how spiritual there's a correlation that you can't get away with. If you go and study Ephesians, and trust me, I'm not trying to, I have, I have studied it for hundreds of hours. I've been on my knees for weeks, and especially in the last two weeks. In the last week, I've had none else but on my knees, and my knees killing me anyway. Maybe that's why my knees are sore. <laughs> no, no, I could have said that, but it would be a total lie. I believe if, if, if some of these guys are calling this out, which I love and I respect and I honour them, I believe if they kept on looking in the mirror intently and looking at this, they're calling some love that's no longer love. They're calling it love when it's no Christ. And I want to just say this, there's people in our congregation over the past month or two where we've been going through stuff, some people weren't well and all that sort of stuff, and these have been getting lost. And these are broken and these are pursuing the wrong thing. And you don't need your pastor to go and fight the government. You need them to go and stand aside you and love you and make sure you're okay long before I do that. Long before I do that. And that's getting lost. But not anymore. We're here to stand in the word of God and stand in truth and we'll stand against lies. But I say to all you guys, and I've been calling you out for it. See, when I start seeing your posts and I start seeing all your ministry, Mary Dewey, Mary Dewey, what's going on in the world and Mary Dewey, what's going on in a poor widow or somebody in our church who's suffering and struggling with loneliness or brokenness. We've missed the point. That is our job. And let me just tell you this. Do you think the devil doesn't know that? Do you think the devil's just in getting the people to be silent? The devil's in as much getting the people silent as he is getting the church who are bold to speak too much about that and no love the world and no love people. Just the exact same. Both of them are a... Both of, them, both of them are confronted with Christ. Both. And see, for us, we stand in the truth, but see, the thing is a massive distraction when that becomes a thing. And of course, we're like a church in Ephesus. It's, we're being bombarded with it for 20 months. We're being bombarded with it for 20 months, and it's right to stand in it because we have been bombarded with 20 months. But you know what you can attract to your church? Just rebels. Just rebels. Oh, I'm coming to your church because you stand against this, and I'm coming to your church because... Oh, we've had mere phone calls and emails in the last couple of months and anything. It's no people that want to stand as in agreement with the world. It's people that stand in agreement with what we think about the government. I'll never build a church. I'll just build a rebel. That's just rebels. You just get rebels. Because see what happens. See when that's all. Know that it will be said and done. And listen, people can come for the wrong reasons and stay for the right. We're okay with that and I'm grateful for the affinity I've got. But all that just starts to 
just starts to shape and mess with you where you're going. And you know what Christ says to the church in Ephesus? Time's gone. I just would love to talk about this, Mayor. But I hope you've heard the heart of the spirit of this church where we're going. Jesus says, repent. Repent. And I repent in front of you for that. I don't repent for standing in truth and I'll continue to stand in truth. But I don't want to lose my Christ likeness in it. And thank God for the reformation of this church because I promise you, if we never had that reformation, we would have not be standing in that word in the Ephesians today. We'd be keep pursuing the truth because we were always into truth. But thank God for the word of God that sanctifies us and leads us back into all truth so that we're standing in both. Truth and grace in equal proportions. We'll call out the lies. We'll call out the abuse. But we're here to stand in God's word, preach the word in season and out. We resolve to know nothing were amongst us except Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul was facing horrendous stuff. He didn't go marching against Nero. Called it out when it was right. John and Peter called it out when it was right. And we'll call it out when it's right. We're ha I'm happy to call out vaccine mandates and that stuff disgusting and abuse. I but listen, I don't want anybody to come and join this church because in their agreement with the Great Reset was. I'm sorry, that's where I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're no, we're no here to fight Klaus Schwab as much as he's a psychopath. And we'll call him it. That's not our job. And it's a massive distraction. And let me just tell you as a close here. See, you are brave and bold and calling stuff out. Apologies and I love you as brothers and sisters in Christ. But I challenge you as well. Because I know that boldness and I know that spirit and I know that heart and I have it. I've always had it. I had fun of fight when there were nobody to fight. And I'll probably always fight. But thank God the word sanctifying is my primary purpose is this congregation here and maturing them in Christ. Period. And when that becomes out there what's any more important in the heart and soul of each individual in this church, we're doing what Christ says and you've lost your first love. Do you know who, we're Do you know who they were losing their first love? The people in the congregation who were sinning and struggling. It's predominantly. They were getting... I know we might think as we fight this stuff, it's everybody's fight. If I had to ask you to put your hands up on the day which I'm not going to and say, is there any struggling with other things other than with little Nicky's doing now? Is any is is any is hurting with other things in your life other than that? But it's easy to blame that. Is any struggling with your faith now? Is any is lost your first love because you're standing in other stuff in some ways? As it became a placebo or almost like an anaesthetic? But you're not seeking God and spending time in his word, which got us here in the first place. You know, I stand here unashamedly and say, I've got so caught up at times in the big fight, I'm forgetting about the hurting person who's still sitting here, who's still trying to just deal with life on a daily basis, and the devil is reveling in it. Reveling. Because we've got a bigger fight in our hands. You don't have a bigger fight. Jesus goes to the churches and the pastors of the church, to the angels. He says, you don't have a bigger fight than your congregation. You don't have a bigger fight than bringing the word to your congregation and sanctifying them. I know you think you do, and I know the devil wants you to believe you do. And I'll say this, they are silent and they are fighting nothing else. The devil's loving both. Because each time the word's getting stole and robbed. So if we're going to call stuff out, let's have balance. Yeah. Let's stand in the word first and foremost. Building this congregation up. God's took us away. And I don't know about you, I feel blessed. I feel blessed that God's felt the Holy Spirit's led us to this. Because see, if it wasn't for the word of God, I don't know where we would be. We probably wouldn't. We'd, we'd probably still be fighting the government, like much of the, much of the, the, the church that doesn't stand in the word at all. And it's always weary that we watch what we make alliances with at this time, and remembering what we're here today to preach the word. That's what God's been speaking to me about for weeks. And when you start hearing this and you maybe see me writing some, I'll still call it out. Absolutely. 
But while I'm calling that out, I'm not going to let it steal that. Which we're called today. Amen, church. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Thank you.